Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Switch your home to Sky Broadband today. See sky.ie for more. It's Wednesday, July the 27th, and you are very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan, returned from an unexpectedly lengthy absence during which our political editor, Pat Lee, graciously and gracefully and elegantly at times took the chair. Thanks for that, Pat. What hope? Also here today are Jennifer Bray and Jack Horgan-Jones. Good to see you guys. Great to see you again, Hugh. Good to see you, Hugh. Welcome back. I have lots to ask about. I've been listening with interest over the last while while I've while I've been away but also, this is a kind of a end of term feel this week, Jen. The mm. uh, the cabinet is meeting as we speak. That's right, Jen. This is the last cabinet meeting of the summer. They hope, they think, they expect. You just never really know, do you? Um, but yeah, there are fifty items on the agenda today, and um, so we we kind of expected it would be jam packed, and it is. Um, there's a couple of big ticket things up there. Obviously, there is there will be an update on Ukraine and the situation in relation to accommodating. Ukrainian refugees. There's uh, plans from Helen McEntee to change the laws around consent, um, which we covered a bit in our front page today. Um, But the big thing today, I think the big story politically is the uh, lack of agreement on the climate targets and and those sectoral uh, ceilings. Um, Looked last night like there wouldn't be an agreement today, sort of more optimistic noises being Sounded, but we, we we just don't know yet. But yes, this is the last uh, the last cabinet, unless they hold, of course, an incorporeal cabinet later on in the week or maybe later on today to agree those agree those targets. There's a bit of hardball being played, Pat. Uh, our lead story on the front of today's this morning's newspaper um, quotes Oshin Coughlin, who's a significant figure in the Irish environmentalist movement, uh, Friends of the Earth, and he's sort of saying this is one the Greens could walk on, isn't that what he says? That's more or less what he says. Yeah, they issued a statement last night in which the Friends of the Earth raised the prospect. I mean, they didn't issue a threat. And, you know, uh, I obviously they're not in a position to issue threats on behalf of the Green Party. But it was certainly raising the prospect that, um, that you know, this could lead to a serious rift, uh, perhaps an existential rift in the coalition. I think that's right. I've been writing about this for some time now because I I think you can't overestimate the importance of this to the Green Party. This is the reason it is to, you know, achieve meaningful climate action and that is measured in these targets and in the subsequent plans to achieve the targets which which targets are now set in law let us not um let us not forget because of the climate act uh of um of last year and uh i you know i think this goes as i say this goes to the very heart of the reason why the greens are in government the bargain that they made not just with Fianna Fáil, but the bargain that the Greens made with themselves, that they would go into government to achieve this. And if they find that the extent to which they can achieve this is not uh, near where they had hoped, doesn't match the sort of ambition that they had uh, that they had when they went in, then I think that puts very serious 
um, I think that puts very serious question marks over the survival of the government. As you'll know, I'm not somebody who calls a crisis in the government every week for the, the sake of a headline. But I, I, I think this is a really, really big issue for the government. And I think if it cannot be if it cannot be resolved to the satisfaction of all sides, both the Greens and also Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, and just as the Greens have the Friends of the Earth and other groups uh, in the background that they have to keep on side, so Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have their own backbenchers and farmers and farming organisations uh, that they have to keep uh, on side. And I think that if they cannot find a compromise that is acceptable to all sides, then I think it is really serious for the survival of the government. And how hard is that compromise to achieve? This lots of talk about the difference between the 22% and the 30% contribution. Where might a compromise fall? You know, am I just randomly going to stick a pin somewhere between those and say, if they get to 27, the Greens can live with it? Or if it's under 25, they're gone? Or do we know? Do we know where they're pitching their tents? I mean, on one level, you would say, okay, so the, the, the discussion is between 22 and 30. So as you say, stick a pin in the middle and that's that's your compromise. I don't think it's as simple as that because if it were as simple as that, it would have been done by now. It's how you get to somewhere in the middle distance. I don't think it's going to be 22% and I don't think it's going to be 30%. Where it lands, if there is to be a deal, will depend on a couple of things. And, you know, everybody you talk to inside and outside government about the uh, about this stresses the complexity of it. Because so one of the arguments, for example, right, one of the arguments that's going on at the moment is about the role of mitigation. So let's say, you know, you're a farmer and you decide you can stick a load of solar panels on your farm. OK, but that mitigation goes uh, into the energy pot or the electricity generation pot, if you like, as production of renewables. And therefore, that is counted under the heading of electricity generation. What the farmers are saying, with some justification, I think, what the farmers are saying is that if this is done by farmers on their land, then it should count in the agriculture pot. But what the... Uh, what the Greens are saying, well, then, if that is counted in the agriculture pot, then show us how the uh, show us how you can get more generation of renewables for uh, electricity, because simply moving, you know, let's say five percent or whatever from the uh, from the electricity generation pot to the agriculture pot doesn't lower your overall emissions. All it does is get agriculture off the hook. So those are the type of discussions that are going on um, at the moment. There is a view in some parts uh, of uh, of the government, more so on the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael side, that, what the Green, that the Greens will just have to take what they can get as a very important staging point and, you know, try to improve the performance over the remaining seven or eight years as better technologies come, uh, come, come on stream. The view in the Greens is that this is what everybody signed up to. This is the reason they're in government. They have to get something meaningful and deliverable at this stage that doesn't let agriculture off the hook because already the relatively low levels of uh, emissions cuts in agriculture, between whether it is 22 or whether it's 30%, mean that the other sectors, such as 
industry and electricity generation we've already referred to and transport, that those cuts have to be enormous. And what some people are warning about on the green side is that if you let agriculture off the hook at 22 or 24 percent, that means that the targets you will need to reach in the other sectors, such as transport, will be incredibly large. That is to say they won't have any credibility uh, because they are because they are too large. So um, it's it's a highly complex and delicate negotiation that is going on. I'm not sure, to be honest, that there is a landing ground possible that keeps everybody happy. I guess we will have to wait for the coming days to to see whether uh, to see whether that is achievable. Jack Pat has made the point in the podcast several times over the last couple of years that you know the Greens have achieved a lot in terms of the targets that were set. This is why the Greens are in government. It seems relatively clear to me um, that they can't uh, do what what Pat was talking about there. They can't wait and see. They can't accept a compromise which is below their kind of baseline figures because the reality is, isn't it, that these extremely um, difficult to achieve targets. We're already behind the curve on them. I think emissions went up this year rather than down, didn't they? So not heading in the right direction already. And the idea of waiting for another two or three years for the gravity of the situation to impress itself on on, on the partners in government, it's just, it's just not going to happen, isn't there? There is, there is a point at which walking is better than staying. Yeah, and I think that's why we've seen... Uh as of this morning, uh, Wednesday morning, a kind of ratcheting up of the rhetoric from the green side. They had been comparatively quiet when you uh, look at them against the fairly, uh, fairly outward comments from the Fine Gael side in particular, who probably feel more vulnerable to their farming boat being eaten away from under them than, than Fianna Fáil, which might explain why they've been that bit more uh, vocal on it. But the Greens have kind of more or less kept their counsel, at least in a public sense. But this morning we see Pauline O'Reilly, the uh, chair of the Greens, um, doing an interview on the Claire Byrne show, discussing how 22 and 23% w- won't cut it. And to my knowledge, that's the first time someone in the Greens has publicly been talking about, you know, numbers not not being good enough. So I think that, you know, they, at this point, feel that they have to start negotiating uh, on the airways and trying to kind of reduce the room for manoeuvre for the other two parties uh, to uh, effectively kind of engineer an extension on this. And I think it's, it's more Fine Gael who are pushing for the extension um, and for a pause than, than, than Fianna Fáil. Um, and I think that the, the point that you make is correct to you that like, you know, now, now is the time for action or certainly all the science would suggest that now is the time for action and, and that informs the Greens' negotiating stance. Um, against that, I suppose you would have to, um, you'd have to make the assessment that like does, does taking action now versus in September make a difference? And like from a kind of mechanical point of view, um, you know, like, will there be grossly more emissions issued over that kind of month period? Uh, no. Um, and, like, it doesn't make a difference in terms of, like, the effectiveness of the climate action plan. So you can kind of see the political rationale for taking a step back and allowing for what one source last night called de-escalation. But I think that there, there, there's a risk in um, that, 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 that hiatus, which hasn't been acknowledged by the people who are advocating for it, which is that if they 
step back from it, it becomes the story of August almost by default. And there's a real danger in being the story of August um, because it means that like all the kind of free-floating political and media attention amongst those journalists that are still working during August is focused in on you and narrowly focused in on this one issue. And if that one issue is climate, certainly talking to people across the coalition yesterday there was a sense that, you know, this will be a damaging and divisive period, which will only lead to increased acrimony and lead to, you know, multiple instances of farmers or farming groups shouting across the airwaves at, you know, climatologists and environmentalists and Green Party reps, and that that will be damaging in and of itself to the political cohesion, not only of the government, but of the wider kind of political system and the kind of discussion around this. Uh, and I think that it risks, I think that, that, that a further delay probably risks accentuating something that, you know, this debate and to a lesser extent the turf debate has already, um, has already indicated, which is the emergence of climate as a real hinge point and a real dividing line in Irish politics and, and something that is going to become a kind of an organizing point for people, you know, with how they how they identify in climate politics, what they believe, what they think needs to be done, and who needs to do it, I think is going to be an important thing in Irish climate in Irish politics, not just in Irish climate politics going forward. So, you know, um my point overall, I suppose, is that if you give the the, the gap for that to kind of metastasize into, it can become more and more damaging and more and more divisive and potentially uh, increase the chances that, you know, they could be it could be a fatal incident for the government, not to mention increase the chances that if, you, if, you're, if you're negotiating this around September, not only are you bringing yourself closer to the budget, you're bringing yourself closer to the ploughing championships, which is like the alpha and omega of, of rural Ireland. So, you know, the, the idea that, you know, some, some sort of deal that wouldn't be popular in rural Ireland is signed off in and around the ploughing championships, one person was observing to me yesterday, could just prove this kind of massive rallying point. So how big a problem is this for Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, Jen? I mean, particularly, I mean, Jack points to Fine Gael in particular, but I think it's, you know, there are significant figures in, in Fianna Fáil too. I mean, do they do they risk losing um, members of the parliamentary party over this if, if they're not, if they're unhappy with it, or is is it the more long term fear that the direction of that the polls have been going in for the last while will continue downwards for them and it'll be a disaster for them this policy at the next election? Yeah, certainly. I think the narrative um, perhaps last week was definitely that some of those backbenchers uh, could have gone overboard. I think there's been kind of a change in language a little bit over the last couple of days. So over the weekend, there were a bunch of Fine Gael backbenchers, for example. They criticised what they said were the scapegoating of farmers. Um, and I think amongst that group were TDs like John Paul Phelan, David Stanton, Charlie Flanagan, Paul Kyo, um, and then a number of senators like Garda Hearn and, and I think John Cummins. And they kind of talked about this false narrative around agriculture. And there was very kind of strong noises coming from from that contingent. But then it appears now yesterday uh, and today and this morning that some of those backbenchers uh, would actually favour a compromise, that they would be happy enough with something that was in the range of 24 to 26% in terms of uh, agriculture. And I think obviously they must have been and they would have been consulting with various different farming organisations um, as they came to that position. Um, and I think even if you look at what Barry Cowan has been saying, you know, he's now calling for a stakeholder forum that would monitor uh, initiatives to reduce agriculture emissions, I think, over the next two years or so. And that's kind of more longer term uh, call, I suppose. So I definitely think that language has softened a little bit in terms of those hardline um, uh, backbenchers. I think one party that has found itself also in a tricky position uh, is Sinn Féin because 
they have refused to specify exactly what percentage emissions reduction they would support in the agriculture sector. It was really interesting to hear um, their environment spokesman, Darren O'Rourke, on the radio, and he talked about how this was a matter for government. I think he said they couldn't pluck, I think the words were, pluck a figure out of thin air. Um, Now, one of the charges that Leo Varadkar, I think it was, made in the doll just before... Uh, actually, it was just after that motion of no confidence. He, the charge that he made against Sinn Féin effectively was that what the party does is they uh, they they go whichever, whichever way the wind goes. Actually, it was Heather Humphreys now I think about it. Um, and this is something that if you go online now today or last night, you'll see all the Fine Gaelers and Fianna Fáilers using this line to kind of beat Sinn Féin across the head with and say, you know, Sinn Féin are weak on, on climate action um, and, and, and climate promises. And if they were in government, they wouldn't take the necessary actions that are needed for the essential survival of the planet. Um, and I think the party definitely has found itself in a tricky spot there uh, by not being able to specify what action it would take and by saying factory that it would wait to see what the government decides to do because it's a matter for government. Although, Pat, I'm not sure historically how much opposition parties have suffered from just attacking the government without putting forward uh, clear policies of their own in in the history of Irish politics. Maybe you could enlighten us on that. <laughs> no, I, um, I, you know, attacking the attacking the opposition is good fun for the for the government, but I'm not sure it necessarily gets them anywhere. I mean, you could argue, of course, that when it comes to an election, what matters for an opposition party is not so much is not is not only uh, how unpopular the government is, but what sort of plans that they can put before the electorate for a uh, you know for a viable and different uh, different government and I think we're some bit away from that yet particularly Sinn Féin is a whole heap of distance away from from doing that on on climate on the other hand you know repeated surveys show that climate and climate action is not one of the topics that people tend to rate as most important in how they're going to vote. And this is one of the political difficulties for the government because, and I think people in government are beginning to wake up and realise this, that when these targets, and remember, we're still at the level of targets. There's a 51% target that it, by 2030 that is set in law. The process that is undergoing being undergone at the moment is the process of allocating how that target will be re- reached sector by sector so by agriculture transport electricity generation and so forth what we haven't got to yet is the sort of measures that will be required to achieve those targets in the individual sectors so for instance if you know there's the uh, you know, we, we, we know that part of the transport targets uh, is to have a million electric vehicles on the road by uh, by 2030. Um, that will mean that sometime in the middle of the decade, every single new car that is sold is going to have to be an electric car. Now, how do you even, assuming that the supply of electric vehicles is there, uh, which is a pretty big assumption that would be at the very least 
challengeable. Uh, how do you persuade people to do it? Well, you've got to use things like the tax system. So how do you, uh, you know, how do you like having your new petrol or diesel car, uh, having the road tax on it hiked fourfold and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and so forth? Like these are going to be very difficult measures for any government, no matter who makes it up, to introduce as long as the public don't rate climate as one of the top issues that they want to see a government deal with. And survey after survey tells us at the moment that they don't. Now, of course, that is going to change. And the argument that the Greens and the broader environmental lobby may uh, make justifiably is look around you, look at the effects of climate of climate change, look at the worsening projections for uh, for global warming in the future. Look at what that does to the livability of parts of the uh, of the planet. Last week, it was 40 degrees in London. OK, it was 30 here. But anyone who's experienced the difference between 30 degrees and 40 degrees, you know, knows how, you know, how different an environment 40 is from 30. And, you know, all those sort of things that are happening, they're saying, you know, we ne- we have to act now. We have to act 10 years ago, but that's not an option. So we have to act now. But still, this doesn't appear to have made the breakthrough through to lots of uh, lots of voters. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a, an extremely difficult political project for any government to implement over the coming years. And it wouldn't surprise me if it causes not just this government at some stage, you know, to, to fall apart, but governments in the future to fall apart as they are faced with the inevitability of uh, the imperative to do things which uh, will be very unpopular with lots of uh, with lots of voters. Jean Claude Juncker said at the height of the financial crisis, and um, that the dilemma for politicians was that they all knew what to do; uh, they just didn't know how to get re-elected afterwards. And I suspect something um, similar will occur to politicians in the future as they deal with uh, uh, global warming and, and climate action. Well, indeed, and as as Jack said already, it's hardly surprising that this huge, arguably the you know the greatest challenge of this century of this of this generation and probably the next couple of generations, hardly surprising that it starts becoming a very fraught political issue because these are these are difficult problems and they're going to require difficult solutions. Anyway, we'll we'll undoubtedly be talking about that again over the next few weeks. We will take a break now. We'll be back after this. Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with ninety nine point nine percent reliable Sky broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. And welcome back, Jen. I was listening to the podcast while I was away. Um, there were certain things that were new and we might touch on them. Uh, what's happening in Britain was was particularly interesting around Downing Street. But certain things seems we always have with us. The polls are bad for the government parties. Sinn Féin continues to be on the rise. And again, the old question over the last few weeks I was listening, uh, that existential angst in Fianna Fáil, 
What's the party for? Where is it going? What's it all about? Uh, that never seems to go away, does it? I wonder, is it being prompted further now by the fact that the, the end of Michal Martin's Taoiseach ship is looming into view? Taoiseach ship, yes. Plus a change. I mean, yeah, you're right. Some things are just perennials in politics, isn't it? And, you know, who and what is Fianna Fáil is just one guaranteed topic of conversation at least once a month, 12 times a year. Um, but I think, you know, I was looking back on the this term of, of government for the, for this podcast, kind of just looking back on how it started and how it's end, ended. And it really is just two different tales, really, because how it started was on this incredible high because just when the, when, when the doll came back um, it, in mid to late January, that was when all of the COVID restrictions were lifted. Um, and if you remember, like, I think sometimes we forget, like, how horrendous it was. Maybe, you know, we've forgotten because our brain is just doing us a favour of not remembering the pain of it. But, you know, like 8pm curfews, hospitality passes, the impact on businesses, the loss of life, all that stuff we talked about many times. At the end of January, the great news was everything's being lifted. It's all going. Um, and I think the national mood was quite buoyant. Um, I definitely picked up on that within government. There was this feeling of this release of, release of tension, this kind of much more kind of happy uh, uh, atmosphere. They finally got to announce some good news. And even at the time, they were talking about all the new bank holidays. They were going to bring in new public holidays. Um, and the end of January was, was was a good time. Fast forward to the end of um, term, and I'm sure we'll cover kind of what happened in between there. Um, we've had, obviously, that the biggest event during that, that, state, that time has been Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Um, and that's had a number of different impacts, not not least, obviously, the, the humanitarian impact. But in terms of Irish politics, um, firstly, the, uh, you know, the challenges accommodating Ukrainian refugees and the fact that the state ran out of space two weeks ago, which is a very serious, uh, important development. And secondly, the impact on not only energy prices, but inflation generally, because that impacts on everything else, whether it's, uh, whether it's food, uh, every other bill that basically lands on your doorstep. And that in turn has had a really big impact on national politics, as you would expect, because when you look at the poll that we had uh, a couple of weeks ago, two or two or three weeks ago, it showed that the cost of living is one of the biggest issues that are is facing uh, voters. You know, Fianna Fáil dropped by three points to 20%. Um, same for Fine Gael, they were at a historic low. And the biggest winner, of course, was Sinn Féin. They grew by three points to 36%, which was their highest level in the series, um, and Mary Lou Macdonald kind of seeing her approval rating up. And all of that is directly attributable to people feeling that they don't have the help that they need uh, to deal with the cost of living crisis, uh, which is directly a result of many different factors. But you could go all the way back to Brexit, but most notably, obviously, the war uh, in Ukraine. And I think the story uh, from the start of term versus the story that they have gone into the summer recess with is totally different. Um, and we said this actually on the last podcast, I genuinely can't see it getting any better for them. No, it's going to get worse, Jack, isn't it? I mean, it's this this new post-COVID environment we're in and many of those challenges which um, which Jen mentions are not peculiar to Ireland, uh, particularly the, the cost of living crisis and potential problems with with energy um, during during the, the upcoming winter. But uh, it's a kind of a, it's a, it's a tough task ahead now, isn't it, as we, as we go into the autumn? Uh, yes, Hugh. If we look at where we are at the moment, um, we may merely be in, in the foothills uh, of a rather uh, large and hazardous mountain range um, that spreads out in front of the government over the autumn and winter. And I think that Jen is right in identifying the cost of living pressures as the most acute uh, issue that they'll face. And the 
pressure that will come on them to backstop, I think, both households, which they've been doing um, to a large extent already this year, but probably also businesses, I would think, uh, coming through into into winter. And one of the things that, that Cabinet is looking at today is uh, a low-cost loan scheme that would take advantage of relaxed kind of EU state aid rules for particularly energy-thirsty companies. Um, so I think that, you know, there's there, there's perhaps this kind of, to a certain extent, a return of... Um, of you know this doctrine that we saw during uh, COVID that like you know the the state can and will and should backstop uh, society when when it's met with fundamental challenges and we see that with the kind of with the supports that are that are being offered to to households and being constructed for businesses but I think that there's a ceiling on that that didn't exist beforehand and you see that when you read the the summer economic statement that came out in the last two or three weeks um, they talk more about uh, there being very difficult choices ahead and the government not necessarily shying away from them, um, which is an impressive rhetorical commitment to make. But at the same time, uh, they're blowing through some of the expenditure rules that they set for themselves in terms of how much the uh, the exchequer is willing to, willing to spend. Um, they set these rules last year during the budget process and they're already deciding to put them aside this year. So, you know, whether the government is able to actually respond to those new constraints that it, it, it articulates that it's perceiving is, is, is one thing that, that remains to be seen. And, you know, the, the, the broader financing environment is changing. You know, um, the, the, the macroeconomic and the central bank and the monetary policies that are flowing from, from Frankfurt are, are changing. So, you know, I don't think that it's going to be as easy for the government to, to kind of do that broad backstop role. And perhaps, you know, politically, neither should they be so, so eager to, to, to do so. So they, they, they enter into this very hazardous and pressured period that's going to stretch out initially across autumn and winter but you know we should be expecting to live with higher gas prices all the analysis would suggest for for a period of, of many months after that um in a more constrained environment and arguably with fewer tools with which to to confront it uh, so it is a particularly um politically hazardous time ahead no doubt about that is there a distinction apart between uh the sort of the one-off temporary supports which we've already seen for people's household energy bills and things like that and um, a different way of reacting to inflation which might contribute to inflation becoming endemic I suppose in other words if you get uh, pay rises uh, substantial pay rises they're going to be there forever whereas if you give somebody 500 quid to pay their electricity bill during the winter that is a one-off payment is there any consideration of the two different approaches to supporting people through the cost of living crisis? Oh, very much so, yeah. And you'll see this in the structure of the budget when it arrives at the end of September. And we know a fair bit uh, about this already through um, through our reporting in recent weeks. So you will have increases in uh, in public spending uh, of, of, of record magnitudes across many areas. We know that the budget is going to be, uh, you know, nearly seven billion 6.7 billion in terms of the annual spending increases that are uh, that are agreed uh, that will uh, that will include some elements of a new public sector pay deal if there is one um, and and those 
that new spending will have to be paid for next year as well. It is goes into the base uh, as they uh, as 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 the jargon goes, but there will also be a budget day package of in year measures, and I think that is going to be very substantial in uh, indeed. And talking to some people in and around government, I mean, you hear estimates from one to two billion, perhaps beyond, of uh, one off giveaways such as the type that we've seen to help people with fuel bills in the first half of the year, I think there will be very substantial, um, a very substantial reprise of uh, of that on budget day. And they will be paid immediately or almost immediately so that they're in this year's budget. And they will be financed largely by this extraordinary uh, boom in corporation tax receipts that the government has experienced this year and expects to continue in the second half of the year. But as 10,000 economists have already warned the government that those revenues are undependable. So what the government is trying to do is, I think, a kind of a it's trying to be a trying to be clever about it. Answer the pressure, the cost of living pressures with one-off in-year um, uh, giveaways, and then we'll see we'll see what happens next year. I think to reiterate what the the guys have already said i think when you look forward to the autumn you can only see a very difficult political landscape for the government it's got to do a, agree a budget that will make as we've discussed some mitigations on uh on 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 the cost of living but it's not going to no matter what the government can uh, can realistically do it's not going to eliminate the pressure on households and you're going to see that pressure in rising fuel costs in rising food costs in rising rents and and now that the ecb is beginning to rise rates in uh, in in the rising cost of mortgages uh, at, you know at the same time the government will be dealing with external political issues such as the northern ireland protocol with policy difficulties within itself as we as we've already discussed on climate action and the prospect while all this is happening that it's got to prepare for the changeover in the Taoiseach's office which is a maneuver that has never been previously attempted by an Irish government and will involve I think a lot more than simply you know the the two men changing uh, the two men at the head of the government changing office. I, I, I think that with that comes a whole heap of political pressures, the sort of questions about governments at its midterm, how does it reinvent itself for the second half of, uh, of its existence, and how do the individual political and potentially electoral needs of the comp- different components of the government, particularly as between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, how do they stack up and how do they interact with one another in the second half of uh, of the government? All of which is a very long-winded way of saying there's an interesting autumn ahead. Well, and all of which also makes me feel, Jen, listening to all of that, that this government is perhaps a bit less stable than we thought it would be maybe a year or so ago. There was a general assumption that had a relatively comfortable majority uh, that it would, you know, go the full term or close to the full term, barring catastrophes. But a number of things that we, you know, a few a few TDs have been lost along the way over the last year or so. There's this current uh, quite serious argument. There's those challenges ahead. And as Pat says, then there's the whole 
Taoiseach switcheroo upcoming too, which is potentially destabilising for, for the parties involved. If you were a bookie, would your odds on the chances of this government surviving the full term, would they have changed over the last two months while I've been away? Well, I am not a gambling woman because I already have too many other vices and I simply can't add another one to the list. But um, I think if you were a bookie, you probably wouldn't actually uh, bank on them going all the way. But I actually think they probably will. I think that obviously there's a couple of things that happened in this term uh, of the Dáil which were impactful. So the first thing was obviously the debate around the National Maternity Hospital, the relocation from Hollis Street um, to St. Vincent's. And obviously two Green TDs went overboard. They didn't agree with the decision. It was all about having a, a, a hospital on state-owned land and then it came into this big argument is a lease, is a lease, ownership, blah, blah, blah. We've been there. We've been through it. But, you know, they went overboard. They, they were out of the parliamentary party for six months, so they're currently um, outside of the umbrella. And then, of course, what happened secondly was uh, obviously the debate around MICA and the crumbling blocks and homes in in Donegal and other counties. Absolutely nightmare situation uh, for the homeowners, but also... A monumental headache for the government trying to figure out how to uh, provide as much support to the homeowners as possible while still limiting kind of that exposure for the taxpayer. Um, and in long story short, uh, Joe McHugh obviously found himself in a position where he said he couldn't uh, vote with the government, he voted uh, against the government in, in, in terms of their passing their enhanced um, uh, MICA legislation. So, that you know, obviously the numbers have been impacted by that. I don't think they would have liked to have found themselves in the position they did, which was losing their majority on paper halfway, not even halfway through, nearly halfway through uh, the term of, of this government. Having said that, we, you know, it is also a fact that the government can rely on and does rely on the support of a number of independents. But of course, you know, um, independents may have found it easy to vote with the government on this occasion, there may be occasions in the future in which they find it much more difficult, um, such as in the event of, uh, you know, we talked about this, I think, a couple of podcasts ago, if there are any blackouts this winter, if the lights go out in the winter, it'll be a really, really serious issue for the government. Now, they, they say they don't expect it, but as we know in politics too, you should expect the unexpected. Um, so obviously that's a situation they wouldn't want to find themselves in. Those green TDs will come back into the umbrella. But if this is kind of the scale of, what uh, they're facing at this point. And you have to remember, like the biggest challenge they had when they formed the government was actually the coronavirus and COVID and about getting the country back to work and reopening the economy. Things have really changed. You know, we're talking about war and energy blackouts and and, and obviously the, the climate aspect, which we talked about earlier on, which much more are much more politically sensitive individually for those parties is what I'm saying. So, uh, you know, it's hard to know, but my money would be on, on it, it going all the way. But... Um, I think the changeover itself will be tricky. I mean, I was talking to someone in government yesterday, like now that the big issues are kind of not out of the way, but now the summer settled, people are starting to go back to gossiping and speculating and people are kind of saying, right, what's going on with the changeover and who's going to be dropped? And I was talking to someone yesterday who was trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with Stephen Donnelly? Like, will he stay? Will Micheál Martin want to keep him in? And even though people are saying, when Leo Varadkar goes to make his calls, uh, you know, for the cabinet, Will the first people who he calls be the people who are getting sacked? So if you're the first person getting the call and you're a minister, are you going to go, oh, no, I'm clearly getting sacked? So this is the conversation now over the summer has moved on to that. And that will be politically tricky uh, on a number of different fronts. So we'll just have to really wait and see, Hugh. Jack, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I tend to agree with Jen, actually. Um, like, I think that there is every chance this government goes the term. And I think that if you were looking for signs of encouragement 
Uh, Jen has identified a couple of really good ones there, um, the National Maternity Hospital and MICA, which are both examples of, you know, something that is the essence of government, really, which is getting big things done in a way that may not necessarily please everyone and may lead to a couple of people jettisoning themselves overboard for a period of time, but eventually probably coming back. Um, but, you know, resolving them to the satisfaction at, or to a point of satisfaction where the government kind of draws a line under under something and, and moves on and it's seen as settled or done business. Um, and I think that's why this, this particular moment around climate um, and this particularly kind of difficult discussion that's going on is, is also so important. Because if they can get over to the other side, get, get to that point on climate, or at least on this particular part of climate policy, and prove that, you know, a lot of people may be pissed off, some people may even jump ship or lose the whip temporarily. Uh, no one's totally happy, but they are making progress. They are moving forward. They are, you know, making good that essential aspect of government. Um which is kind of trade-offs and bargains uh, being achieved that kind of broadly keeping, uh, broadly speaking, keep the show on the road. Um, I think that's why that is very important as well and, and you know, generates its own kind of momentum. There's another important variable which they looked like they were going to have to face probably at some point in the in the like last quarter of this year, but now aren't going to have to face, which was the possibility that the Tonishta could be facing uh, criminal charges. With that going, that's that's something that could have proved massively destabilizing and probably was harder to plan for uh, in a way than other kind of novel threshold issues like the the changeover of the Taoiseach's position, um, just because it would be hard to, to, to predict exactly how his own parliamentary party, his own ministers and the partners in government would react to that, you know, exactly what the timelines would be if involved if he faced charges or, you know, if he'd just have to go on 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 on, on site if he if he was to be charged, which is the most likely. Um but that destabilizing potential is gone. Um and you know there's other areas in which the government is making progress. Obviously uh COVID is kinda from a kind of centre of the political discourse point of view, over and done with. You know, it's making progress on pension reform, although perhaps not as quickly as some people would like. The defence forces as well would seem to be something that it's going to make progress on in the budget. And uh, I think that, you know, the, the support of Cahill Berry for the uh, confidence vote in recent weeks shows that, you know, there, there's a constituency there that the policy is, 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 is appealing to. Um, so the long and the short of it is that, like, I think that there is, there is plenty of grounds for encouragement that this government will go the full turn, not least because, as we often say on this podcast, governments don't tend to, to, to pull themselves down. And if a, if a major cleavage doesn't emerge on climate policy, if they show that they have the capacity to motor on th- through climate policy and, and, and achieve things on that front, then I think that that's a, a major structural weakness that has been squared away. You know, but the proof of that will be in in the pudding. You know, I think it, it depends first of all on getting this done. I would argue this side of September, and then also once those kind of abstract costs and and we've been criticised on this podcast before and, and the paper for framing climate as as only kind of a costs issue as opposed to an opportunities one. But I think it's unavoidable that like there are going to be costs and changes that accrue to to citizens. So once those costs crystallise and become tangible and real, the extent to which they can actually grapple with those and make policy around them will be the next challenge. Um, but yeah, I think I think that, you know, I think there's there, there's a reasonable chance, not least because Sinn Féin are, are still riding high in the polls, so, you know, why would they pull themselves down if there's no polling evidence to suggest that, you know, they're, they're going to do anything other than avoid uh, Sinn Féin leading the next government? And a last question to you, Pat, and briefly, if you wouldn't mind. Um, 
the people who you talk to on Marion Street uh, and Stevens Green, Department of Foreign Affairs, Department of the Taoiseach, how much are they looking forward to a Liz Truss prime ministership? Not very much, Hugh. Um, it looks, as of now, uh, that Liz Truss will be the, the next prime minister. Um, I spoke to somebody at the very beginning of this process and asked them about the various contenders. This was long before they were whittled down to uh, two two contenders that they are now. And uh, the view in Dublin at that stage was very much anybody but Liz Truss. Now, you might say that there was uh, there, there, there was a few other buttes in the... Um, uh, that, that that briefly threw their hat in the ring that might have been worse than Liz Truss. But um, certainly, I think there's no doubt that Dublin would prefer Rishi Sunak, even even though he hasn't said an awful lot uh, about the, 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 the protocol in the course of this campaign or beforehand. And will certainly, if he is asked about it, have to hew to the hard line that... Um, uh, that 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 all contenders have uh, have had to in recent weeks, but the view is that he might be more pragmatic uh, than Liz Truss, who will be if she wins, and that's what the polls tend to suggest at the moment. Though you know, I, I you know, I think I, I wouldn't be amazed to see that race tighten considerably, even if it doesn't, uh, even if it doesn't turn around. But Liz Truss has been very much identified with the Northern Ireland Protocol legislation. She's been backed by not just the Downing Street establishment at the moment, but by the hardline ERG Eurosceptic wing uh, of the Tory party. And the view is that uh, she would be, she would pursue the current hardline of the British government culminating in inevitably a, a, a conflict with the EU that could throw up all sorts of difficulties for the North and for the government in Dublin. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Dublin is looking on with some trepidation at the course of that election at the moment. Something else to look forward to in the weeks and months ahead. But we'll leave that for today. Thanks uh, very much to, to Pat, to Jen uh, and to Jack. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon. Uh, JJ Vernon is our engineer. We will be back very soon. You can contact us with your views, your questions or your opinions at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. Until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.